Hello, hello. Whoa, there we are. I think we've given the Saturday morning sleep-inners enough time to get here, haven't we? We're going to get started this morning. Uh, I'm really glad that you guys are able to be here this morning. Uh, I've just found Mark's input and perspective and gifting to be so very helpful that uh, ever since we started talking, I've been considering how do we activate Mark's gift in our church and begin to see some of this stuff um, get out there a little more. And so I'm really looking forward to hearing from him this morning. So thanks for being here. The way it'll work this morning, at least as we originally talked, there'll be a little bit of ebb and flow here, but we're going to do some sessions, about 45 minutes or so, and then we'll take breaks. And then we've got some coffee and stuff out there now, but then we're going to, we're going to put out some muffins and snacks and some other cold drinks as we go. And so during those breaks, if you go out in the lobby and grab something or need to, you can. Hi, yeah. You're my favorite guest today. Uh, unfortunately, we had a power surge while I was here on Thursday late in the day. There was all that lightning that came through, and, and everything blacked out for a few seconds in here. And now our video equipment is, seems to be fried. So we're not going to be able to... doesn't sound like we're going to be able to get a video. We're, we'll just record it directly with a camera, but we won't have the ability to interact with all of our stuff. So anyway, that's a bummer. We'll, we'll keep working on that. But if you want to give Nick a hug at some point today, he probably needs it. Uh, yeah, so uh, I will just, I'm just going to turn it over to Mark, and we're going to let him lead us. So Mark, come on up. Would you give him a quick hand? Yeah, a quick hand. Well, good morning, you guys. It's good to be with you. I appreciate you sharing your Saturday. I know Saturdays are precious, and uh, but I'm looking forward to our time together. And um, I, this, I think, with this kind of a group too, you're going to get the most out of me by asking questions and interacting. So if you have a question, raise your hand. We'll pause. We'll go through. We're going to go through uh, a pretty good chunk of information, but we're going to we're going to pace through. Um, and I, I want to pray for us as we start that you would hear what you need to really focus on. Sometimes when we wander through this, this volume of information, it's like, wow, a, a, a tsunami of stuff hit me. And it's, what's really important for me is that you get out of this what the Lord is doing in your life right now. So can we pray? Let's do that. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for every person who's here. Thank you for how you're shepherding them and what you're doing. And would you, Holy Spirit, illumine in their heart what it is that you're working on, what it is that you want to draw their attention to so that when they leave here today at noon, they would have a very clear sense of what it is that you're working in them. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start with a little activity. Everybody needs a pen and a piece of paper. You're all set? Good. And then what? A, you're going to have to move around a little bit. I'm glad that we have the space. So um, what I want you to do is I want you to find somebody that you don't know super well. All right? So I'm going to push you a little bit this morning. Find somebody. Go ahead. Get up. Move around. Find somebody. Just want to pair up with one person. Make sure you have a sheet of paper. And a pen. If you don't have a sheet of paper and a pen, 
JR will send you, sell you a piece of paper for $200 to replenish the video equipment. <laughs> it's a fundraiser. Sheet of paper and a pen. And then when you, with your newfound friend, move around in, in the sanctuary. Move around where you can, because you're going to do a little interviewing. All right? Good job. Do a little interviewing. Everybody have somebody. Yeah, yeah, all related. Okay, well, yeah. Do the rest. Does anybody need somebody? Anybody need somebody? All right. Everybody have somebody. All right, in your newfound pairing, ask the person, decide which of you is going to go first. Who's going to ask the questions? And who's going to respond? Who's going to go first? Okay? Now, I'm going to set this, my little stopwatch here. Now, so the person who's interviewing, what I want you to do is find out as much information about them as you can. You know, just go ahead and and start interviewing them, you're going to have a minute to ask your questions and write down those answers because you want to collect information in one minute's time. How much can I find out about this person? Are you ready, set, go? Thirty more seconds. Five more seconds. And stop. And as you could well guess, you're just going to flip roles now. Now the next person gets a chance to interview that person and get as much information in a minute's time as they can. Ready, set, go. Thirty more seconds. Ah, crazy. <laughs> Five seconds. And stop. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now what I'd like you to do is to stand up and go back to back with that person. Stand up and go back to back with that person. And as you do, I want you to flip your sheet of paper over so you've got a clean sheet. And along the left side of the column, from north to south, I want you to write one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The vertical row, one through seven, running north through south. And I'm going to ask some questions. And as I ask the question, no peeking. And remember, God is watching. <laughs> you ready? Number one, what color is their hair? What color is their hair? Number two, what color are their eyes? <laughs> what color are their eyes? <laughs> now this one's really tempting to cheat on. Number three, about how tall are they? No leaning back. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> Number three, about how tall are they? Number four, did they have any rings on? Extra credit if you know the number of rings. Did they have any rings on? That's number four. Did they have any rings on? Number five. Am I going too fast? Are you guys okay? Okay, number five. What color was their shirt or their blouse? What color is their shirt or their blouse? Remember, God is watching. Number six. Number six. What color is their pants? <laughs> And last but not least, and no looking down, what color is their shoes? <laughs> Do I need to repeat any of them? You can turn around and look and see how you did. Give yourself a grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. gang. Bid your new friend to do for the moment. Head back to your seats.
All right. Let me ask you, how many of you got seven out of seven? <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> Anyone else over here get seven out of seven? How about six out of seven? That's pretty good. Five out of seven? The rest of you will see me after class. <laughs> now, back in the 60s, uh, there were like the 50s and the 60s was the launch of a lot of spy movies and James Bond and all that kind of a, a genre in film. And it generated so much interest in the FBI that they had to come up with a quick screening test. And so if you were interested in becoming an FBI agent, you'd be invited into this massive auditorium. You would do just how we started, find somebody. You'd do that same exercise. If you did not get seven out of seven, you were asked to leave right there because they were looking for the powers of observation. Now, you're not here to be FBI agents, but I do think it's important that we think about what we need to pay attention to. And attention is so important because John Mark Comers, in his book, uh, Eliminating Hurry, says this. He says, what you give your attention to is the person you become. The mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character, and in the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. Okay, I'm going to push back. I know. But what the FBI would want you to do are some of those identifiable external traits so that if we need... What would you... <laughs> Whew, it's going to be a wild ride today, people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so the experience... <laughs> which stirred, <laughs> which was stirred. So, but that's what I want to talk to you about is, is some things to really pay attention to because the reality, I was looking for the most recent stat and the, the most recent I could find was 2017. So, the, I mean, that's in today's world quite outdated. But what it said was says that we get flooded with about 74 gigabytes of information a day through media, uh, through uh, paper, and they, they just try to calibrate it in a sense. Now here, let me, let me translate it into something you could really understand, because 74 gigabytes you might. That's the equivalent of watching 16 movies. And that happens every day. You could not watch 16 movies in a day. Because if a movie's two hours long, what are we looking at, people? Yeah. So all of that information is hitting us and it's vying for our attention, which is why Paul said, long ago, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we are human becomings. We're being formed continually by something or someone all the time. If we were to take MRIs of your brains when you came in, and then when you left at noon, take another MRI of your brain, we would see some market changing, changing in your brain. Identifiable places 
because there's this thing called neuroplasticity where we're, and it's a great thing in terms of adaptability and learning, but when it comes to giving our attention to something and using our minds in a way where we're transformed, and our mind really is our lens that we look at through life, we really want to be thinking about what has the forming influence. And so I draw this matrix to get us thinking about this, that when we're born, when we're little, little M has DNA that she inherits. And that DNA, we know now, carries a lot of stuff. It, 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 it carries uh, not just hair color or lack thereof of hair color. Um, it, it carries uh, this immense amount of traits, and we're learning more and more about DNA, but that's just the seed of a person which gets planted in these rings of relationships. Your family that you're born into, your extended family, the community that you're in, and all those people, they'll give you feedback, and they'll, that feedback will send you into certain experiences or practices. Someone along the lines said to Grace, you know, you're just a natural actor. You're always acting up. <laughs> so why not do it on the stage for people to enjoy? And that feedback had a forming influence on her. And so there's different things that people say that thrust you at different practices. And all of that, as we allow God to take control of it, has a final forming influence where we become the best you. So I say that to say that if we're going to pay attention to what forms us as human beings, probably two of the arenas that we really want to focus our attention to are people and practices. Does that make sense? Because we can't go back and change our DNA. But what we can do is think about the people we're relating to and the things we're doing with our time. Now, the challenge with this, you could say, well, Mark, that's pretty simple. Let's wrap it up and go home. But the reality is we know in life that we would like this nice, smooth, easy, identifiable path. And how many of us have actually experienced that? Because what it really looks more like is this. This wild, crazy, cloverleaf of activity full of twists, it turns, it challenges, it changes, and it makes faithfulness, it makes settledness, peace, a challenge. And so what I want to talk to you about the big word these days is resilience. But if you're looking for a Bible word, it could be endurance, perseverance. When Paul says, you know, finally stand, they're all references to this idea of resiliency, of being able to bounce back even though there's this cloverleaf of craziness that's surrounding us. And in order for you and I to do that, we need to have some kind of a plan. Because we know twists and turns are going to happen. Um, someone got a hold. It was, my wife and I celebrated our 40th anniversary uh, early in September, and someone got a hold of a picture, <laughs> thank you, of when I was, uh, still had hair and had this big bushy mustache and I was 25 years old, and someone flashed it up in the church service and they said, that's not you. And I said, yes, people, this will happen to you. Just wait. Give it time. You know, and so there's going to be these challenges and these changes. You know, your, your health will have up and down. Your jobs will be lost. You know, crises will come and go. There'll be good days. There'll be bad days. We can't foresee those. 
but we can focus on three key areas. And so I want to give you those things, and that's going to be what we're going to really spend our time on today. The first thing is pace. And I imagine when I give these to you, you're going to be a little underwhelmed, but bear with me. Pay attention to your pace. Number two, people. No surprise, because in the matrix, people was clearly there. And then finally, power. The power that we tap into. So the pace we run with, the people we join with, the power we tap into. Now, there might be other factors, and, and I'll give you that, but I, I can tell you this with great confidence. After 40 years of working with people, both as a pastor and as a counselor, these three things, as underwhelming as they initially sound, have a massive forming impact on you and I. And if we are more intentional and pay a sharper amount of attention on what, what's going on with my pace, with my people, with the power I tap into, we will find ourselves more resilient. So let's start with pace because God does. This is what we find in the beginning of the book. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on that seventh day, he rested from his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Here's God building the world. He's created everything. And now he sinks it to his watch, his master clock. And the thing that's important for us to realize is that the pace of heaven, the pace of kingdom, is very different than the pace of our world. Can I please get an amen? I mean, the rhythm of this world is crazy. Um, I can't remember exactly when the Senate study was. I think it was in the 60s. They were, they were asked to um, project out two decades from there What's going to be the biggest challenge that we in America are going to face? And you know what they said after this long city Senate committee study? They said the single biggest challenge Americans will face in the 80s is what to do in their spare time. Now go 10 more years, like 15 more years, USA Today did a survey, and they did this massive nationwide survey, and they, they asked people to submit results about if how much do you plan for a day? You like submit your to-do list or your expectations for a day. You know what they discovered? This was 1996. They discovered for the average American to finish their to-do list, they would need 36 hours. Something bombed out in the Senate there. They just missed it. Because the pace of this world, the movement of this world, is very unhinged. And so this idea of walking by the Spirit of being yoked to Jesus. Think about how often the Lord is saying, keep in step, walk with me, abide in me, wait for me. How many of you like to wait? You take the longest line in the grocery store. I think I'm just going to wait here. It really challenges us. And so God is building creation and, you know, here, this is just how weird it is. He gives creation to Adam and Eve. I want you to manage it. They show up for the first day. And the first day at work, God says, no, we're taking today off. And it's this notion that I want to put right here in the front pocket of your brain that we tend to think we need to work to get to rest. But God says, I want you to work from rest. 
That's a very foreign concept to our world. We don't work really hard so we can finish all these tasks because you rarely finish and kill your to-do list. God is saying, no, I want you to start from rest. In fact, the only place he says to strive is in Hebrews, where he says, strive to enter my rest. It's his way of saying, strive to get in pace with me. And so he creates this rhythm, evening and morning, and he's got this six days of work and the seventh day, and he wants you to start from the rest place. If we don't, we wind up like Mr. McShane, who was a 19th century preacher. This line is a thing he's remembered for, even though he wrote volumes of sermons, a commentary. In his time, he was a prolific writer and speaker. This is his line he's remembered, he's remembered for. God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Alas, I have killed the horse, and now I cannot deliver the message. He graduated from Edinburgh University at 14. By the time he was 23, he was pastoring a congregation of over 1,000, which was massive in those days. Prolific speaker, as I've said, and a writer. And he's best known for this, his dying words when he's 29. 29. Ladies and gentlemen, the horse matters. Yes, the message matters. But if you kill the horse, you're just not going to be able to get the job done. We've got to learn to take care of the horse. We're going to do one more case study about K.D., a character in the Bible. K.D. was the man. He's strong. He's good-looking. He's intelligent. He's athletic. He'd be the pick to be the most likely to succeed. Early on, he managed his family's farm and assets in an incredibly good way, gets interrupted by a war, which he goes to, and then he becomes unexpectedly a war hero. And then that, of course, as a war hero, thrusts him into politics. People want to move him into a place where he will be the next ruler. And you quickly see, in the midst of all that political schmuck, you quickly see the real gold in his character. And he's an honest and upright guy because he's a man after God's own heart. You might know who I'm talking about now, this gentleman named King David. King David, as we jump into this part of his story, is about 40 or 50 years old. Somewhere there's guests on both sides of that. There's a lot of miles on his feet. His family is trying, to say the least. Some of that's his own doing. He's got quite a few wives, and he's got a whole bunch of rambunctious sons that are cutthroat. It's like a Netflix series in the making. It's just crazy. And KD has not revised and revisited his resiliency plan. And suffice it to say, he's tired. In fact, he's altogether lost track of pace because it says here, in the spring at the time when kings go to war, David sends the army out without him. He's tired. David needed a, re a resiliency plan, something that would help him to bounce back, and here's where we're going to get practical, starting with David's story, but some other things I'm going to give you. But the first thing you notice about that is a season in the spring. God gives us seasons as reminders that there's spring, and there's summer, and there's fall, and there's winter. And we need those seasons represented in our pacing, in our calendar. If you haven't 
had a really busy push and your calendar just looks like spring, summer, spring, summer, spring, summer. At some point in time, your nervous system and your body are going to go, we're going to have us a winter right now. And that's no way to really take your break. And David has been pushing hard and running hard, and he can't answer the bell. He has not had a plan for pacing. And akin to this idea of seasons is the fact that there are also seasons of life. I turned 65 this August, and I realized that what I could do when I was 45 is way different than what I can do now at 65. And what I could do when I was 35, different than when I was 45. And so I have to be paying attention. So you have to ask yourself the question, in fact, ask yourself right now, what season of life am I, am I in? Am I in a season where there's a lot of growing and learning? I'm a, I'm a student, I'm a teen, I'm a young adult. Is that the season? Am I in midlife? where there's a lot of scrambling and covering bases and a lot of caring for kids, getting ready to launch kids and all of that. You want to pay attention to the season. And as you look at what season of life you're in, I want you to also pause and think for a moment, when was the last time you had a winter season where you were deliberately slow? I think your winters are a little bit like ours in Minnesota. In fact, um, I was hearing a story about, it. when was it? It was 1965. Here in Montana, July 4th, you had four feet of snow. We've never had that in Minnesota. July's the only month where we haven't. But winter slows you down, doesn't it? So, close your eyes, which is always risky in the morning. Think about your pace. When was the last time you felt a season of rest called winter? The last time you felt a season of rest called winter. Okay, come back with me. And as you think about that, I want you to think about God's regular reminder. Like you, maybe you say, I didn't get the memo about having a winter. But God gives this thing called Sabbath. And he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And this is not uh, just some incidental idea. This is a pace-making idea that's from the foundation of the world, the creator who made you and I said, I want you to keep this rhythm. And if you look at it in the list of the commandments, it always strikes me. I mean, you look at these commandments, you, you, number one, no other gods, that makes sense. Number two, no idols, makes a lot of sense. Number three, don't take the Lord's name in vain, right. Number four, number four, Right below all the God commands is the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath. You see, rest is so important because serotonin is a key brain chemical. It's the thing that keeps you humming at a, at a sustainable pace. And 
the, the way that serotonin is replenished is during rest, during pause, during Sabbath, during winter. So I want to think with you a little bit because this is so important in pacemaking. What is a meaningful Sabbath? If, if someone were to ask you on the street, they were doing interviews on the street, and they said, hey, can I ask you a question? Yeah. What, what's a meaningful Sabbath? What would you say? No cooking. All right. Yeah, yeah, woo-woo. What, what, what was that? What does that mean? (laughs) Sloppy socks. socks. Okay, on a Saturday. Yep. Just kind of an ease to it. Okay. I don't have to take care of others. Yep. Don't have to take care of other people. Okay. Anything else? Nap. Nap. Physical rest is good. Usually, in the understanding of Israel, and especially the Pharisees, they kind of went down the same idea of there's things I'm not going to do, which is good. It is important to say I'm going to stop doing this kind of work, or I'm going to stop taking care of people, or I'm going to stop for a day and not cook. Maybe I'll cook two meals on Saturday or whatever. But the thing that I think we as Christians miss is that when you check out, you're always checking into something. And so it isn't so much about stopping something, it's about you're stopping something to turn towards something else. And we need to realize, like, what, what are we checking into? That's the big question. And so is, that, is what's happening on that day, do I have a place to go or a thing to do or a practice that's truly recreational, that truly recharges me, that truly helps me connect to the creator in a way where I, I do that experience or I give that time and I come away more rested. So write down on your sheet of paper, What are some things that help you slow down? Some things that you engage. What are some practices that you do? Whittling, playing an instrument, reading a book, I don't know. Write down at least three things that when you do these things, you feel like you gear down. So think of three things, three practices, activities that you can do that when you do those, you feel like you gear down. So some people it's knitting. Some people it's playing an instrument, painting, coloring, whittling.
Anybody want to share one of theirs? Put your PJs on and you just gear down and you get the pajamas on. Okay. Sitting in your tree stand. Yeah, yeah. What else? Build or create something. Yeah. Driving. Yeah, me too. Walking. Yeah, just that nice pace. Yes. And so um, I want you to write down two things now, two things that help you connect with God more readily, two practices, two things that help you connect. We're going to come back to these later, but just write down two things. Could be listening to worship music, could be the quiet, could be a lot of other things. Write down two things. Anybody want to share one of those? Prayer. Praising. Yep. Anything else? It will. Yeah. We're going to talk more about some of this too. And I'm just going to wrap up this section. I'm watching the clock. We got a little bit of late of a start, but I want to make sure that you guys stand and stretch or we come back. But here's the problem. Remember, when you check out, so many of the pastors, I've worked with um, pastors who are bombed out, who have fallen for moral reasons. They've lost their way. I've worked with pastors who have crashed out, whose nervous systems have collapsed. And literally, I've worked with somewhere between 100 and 150 pastors who have just bombed out. And one of the things that's consistent in their journey is that they check out, but they don't think about where they're checking in. And it's true for us, too. We could come home, and we can just uh, slide down on the couch and flip on a computer or flip on the TV, and and I'm not necessarily bashing those, but we're checking out, but what are we checking into? And what happens, as you see in David's life, is he checks out, he remains in Jerusalem. It's a good idea. It's, he's tired. Maybe he needs a break. But the problem is, is he doesn't think about what he's checking into. And you know how the story rolls. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his nap. And he's walking on the roof. And he sees Bathsheba. And it goes from tired to not so good. He's tired. He's worn. And so he naps. Naps are good. Jesus took naps. Right? So, yes, let's hear it for naps. But here's something for you to realize. If you take a good nap and you wake up from your nap and you still feel that worn, torn, tired thing, your body isn't so much the issue, it's your soul. If physical rest doesn't bring the remedy of what your soul is craving, watch out. 
And yes, you need to check out, but you also need to check in. I look at this and I go, ay, 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 David, where's your guitar? Where's your journal? Where's your friends, your mighty men? Where are they? Why are you alone on the roof? And we're going to talk about that when we talk about people in the next section. But what is happening to you? Why isn't he singing? Why isn't he meditating on scripture? He's checked out, but he's not checked in. And this is why Jesus says, when you're checking out, this is the big call, come to me. Every one of you who are weary, who are burdened, I'll give you rest. Not only is he going to give you rest, but he's going to teach you how to rest. And in 10 minutes, we're going to come back and we're going to kind of wrap up this section and then we'll move to talk about people. But stand and stretch. So it's 9.50 now. Come back at 10 o'clock and we'll get started and kind of pick this up, okay? All right. Okay. Take a moment, if you would, and um, just think with me. We, uh, you listen to me for about 40 minutes. What, what stood out to you? Hopefully, there's at least one thing. The thing, you know, what, what caught your attention? Yes, sir. What are you checking into? Yeah, that's a really important one. Yeah, I'm glad that, hope it gets it, all of us. It, uh, some people will say that. It's like, I don't know if I've ever had a winter. My uh, son-in-law is a very successful businessman. He, he works with, um, in business, and really he doesn't need to make any more money at the age of 40 anymore now. But, you know, he's got so many people that work for him, and he feels an obligation to keep things going. But he, he called me, and he said, you know, he calls me Minnesota Pops. He goes, Minnesota Pops, uh, you're, you're helping these pastors get a sabbatical. Can't we people get a sabbatical? And I said, yeah, you can. You can plan for it. So here's a guy who... Uh, I forget how many, I think he has 70-something employees directly underneath him, but he, he's got other spheres of the business that are always relating back to him. And he's planning this next year to take a three-month sabbatical from business at the age of 40. And I applaud that. I don't know what that could possibly look like for you, but to have somewhere in your life journey, preferably in the midlife, um, I remember my mentor Carlton Kenny visiting me when I was in my early 30s and he was watching me run around crazy and all these different ministry things that I was involved in. And after dinner one night, we sat down and he said, Mark, can I tell you something? And I said, sure. And he said, this is what I've observed, is that when you're in your 30s, you have a lot of energy and you go like, send it, bring it, I'll take it all on. And you just want to take on the world. But somewhere in your midlife, in your mid-40s, maybe it'll be 50 for you, you hit this place that's an important crossroads. And you either decide what world you're called to take or the world will take you. And I was like, ooh, Carlton, that sounds serious. And we sat down and we talked about the importance of pace 
and, some, and something that looks like a winter that you can plan for. And for every person, that can be unique. Yeah. So I want to do a little exercise with you. You're going to have to put down your coffee and your donuts for a moment. But you can, you can stay seated. And what I want you to do in this exercise is I want you to lift your right foot off the ground as you're sitting just a few inches and begin to rotate your foot clockwise to the right. Rotate your right foot clockwise. And while you're doing that, while you're rotating it, and you're kind of rotating it this way, you know, clockwise this way, you're swinging it. While, while you're doing that, I want you to take out your right finger, point it out, and draw the number six in the air. <laughs> Weird, isn't it? Yeah. It, it feels like, what? It just like, and then kind of goes back the other way, right? Here's the reality. You can do it. It's a little bit like patting your head and rubbing your stomach. It's a little bit more complicated than that. But I've been in, in, in different auditoriums with people. Um, and it's, it's interesting who can do this from the get-go. Uh, heavy metal drummers can because they got so many things going on. Um, gymnasts can do this quite often because they have to be so, uh, just their, their body awareness is so high. But all of us could learn to do this. It's not the best devotion of your time. But it illustrates this, that you have a certain way of doing things right now. And what we're talking about is we're talking about a plan for resilience will feel at first very awkward. All learning's unknown. If, you, if, if it wasn't unknown, it'd be learned. So all learning's unknown, therefore feels a little frightening, feels a little awkward. And so we have to be thinking about, you know, okay, the patience, how can I keep practicing these things, these skills? And I want to give you some things. What does it mean when Jesus says, take my yoke? Now, the obvious thing when you read this verse is what? What's the obvious thing with a yoke? What have we seen all of our lives? Said it's a burden, yeah, but oxen. And so what, what wise farmers would do, especially in Israel, is they would take a good, well-trained oxen who was strong, and they would pair it with one that needed to be trained, and they would yoke them so that young oxen would learn to pull steady and true to the line. So that's the obvious one. But what's not so obvious to us, because we're not Jewish, or most of us aren't, is that the rabbi's teaching was called his yoke. And when you come to study under a rabbi, you were said to come under the yoke of the rabbi, their teaching, their philosophy, their approach to life. Now, most of us, when we're figuring out our day, we look at a day and we think, okay, what do we need to do, right? And we just start cutting that day up into chunks. Like, oh my goodness, I got to get that done and this done and that done. And we, and we have all these different pieces that we've cut up. How many of you this last week went uh, seven for seven on your to-do list? Oh, <laughs> did you? Wow, you should be up here teaching. 
That's pretty good. Either that or you've managed your to-do list to look more like this. This is what it looks like to come under the yoke of Jesus is you start with Jesus at the center. Jesus would say these things that sound good to us, but what does it look like for us to practice? He said, I only do the things I see my father doing. We read that and say, well, Mark, if I did that, I'd be fired from my job or, you know, my spouse would kill me or, you know. But what does it look like for us to find a settled center place with Jesus and out of that place then we begin to say, Lord, how is it you want to direct my energy, my attention, and my focus? Nick didn't print these out. I told him not to print out a bunch of these, but I have available to you uh, a devotional sheet that I, I've, I've used uh, for our whole Christian life. And it's nothing fanciful, but in there is a pattern for me that's been really helpful. And I offer it to you as well, but in particular, the idea of planning your day is in that sheet. And it's this idea of starting from a center, starting from a rested place with Jesus. And you know what? If you're a night owl and you say, well, Mark, I don't, I don't like to plan my day in the mornings, that's fine. Do like the Jews. Plan it the evening before. Be a night owl. But take some time to sit with Jesus and to think about what's coming. If you're a morning dove, that's awesome. Plan in the morning. But by all means, have this kind of a, a centered, settled place. Because the challenges that we face are both external, the things that are coming at us, and internal, the things that are in us. And there's this idea where Jesus is talking about, come to me when you're weary and heavy laden. One of the things that's suggested in this is that this thing, this body, is a throwaway. I'm really glad mine's a throwaway. Some days I'd like to throw it away now and start over. But we know we're going to get a new body. And, and that's going to be a glorious moment to have a new body. But what is, what's this body for now? What's its real purpose? Because it houses our eternal soul, right? But what's this body meant to do for us? Well, it does two things, basically. It's a billboard of worship. What do we give our body to? And then also, it's an indicator to us. It's the dashboard of our soul. So I want you to think with me and write down on your sheet of paper. When you are stressed out, when you are tired, when you are overwhelmed, how does it show up in your body? What are the signs in your body? For Mark Spencer, his shoulders come way up over his head. I'm just like... Mark, are you relaxed? Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know. So what physical manifestations in your body when your body is overwhelmed? And you may have to think about it more. What's really helpful, so many of the people that come to see me, especially in the last five years, that come to see me about anxiety um, or anxiety that's led to depression, is they've, in a sense, become disconnected from their body. They're unaware of how they're pushing their body through. And the reality for us is that 
We're not human beings seeking a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings wading through a human experience. Did you catch that? We're not these human disconnected beings that are looking for some kind of a spiritual dynamic. We are spiritual beings. We're meant to be spiritually grounded and connected. And when our body and, and our, ourselves, we, 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 we come apart. This is what Vance Habner says. If you don't come apart for a while, you will come apart in a while. And it's this idea that when we're settled and centered, that uh, this is what it looks like. Our, our spirit and our emotions and our thoughts, which constitute our soul, are resting well within our body. And when we're not doing well, we're scattered like this, which is why we say things like, pull yourself together, or I feel so spread thin, or so scattered, or my emotions are uh, running wild. And what we need to do is to be able to find settled. To really be able to identify what is your resting place with Jesus. What does that look like? And what a Sabbath is about is about discovering your settled place where you're really finding calm. So, I want to do something with you. And some of you might go, this feels kind of a little new agey to me. And I'll explain to you it's not. But go into it with me. Trust me a little bit. Close your eyes. Now you're probably on guard. Like, well, what is this? <laughs> Close your eyes. And if you need to spread out in the chairs a little bit to give yourself some room, you could do that. Just... And I want you to start at the top of your head, kind of your forehead. Feel tense, scrunched. What's happening in your head, around your temples? Any tightness? In your jaw? Any clenching? Moving down in your neck. What's happening in your neck? Tight? Is your throat tight? How about in your shoulders? Are they relaxed? Are they tense? Are they forward? Take a moment and just roll your shoulders a little bit. Take a good breath. Through your nose. How about in your chest? Any tightness? About now is when somebody starts going. <laughs> How about your stomach? Is your stomach tight at all? And then just keep following down your legs. Any place where you're tight. Sometimes people even will curl their toes or press against the ground. Take another breath. Keep your eyes closed. 
just by walking through, does your body feel a little more relaxed? Open your eyes. You feel a little more relaxed? We're stewards of our body, right? A lot of times we don't take the time to really go like, where is it? Here's the reality. Your body and your brain work together. The minute that Mark Spencer's shoulders go up because he's nervous and tight, that sends a signal to my brain, uh-oh, we're under siege. There's a war coming. Then the best part of your brain is the prefrontal cortex. This is the thing you need to, to, to uh, figure out. Like when you first got married, I can remember the first time where all of a sudden I discovered, oh, that look means this. I never forgot it. And I needed my prefrontal cortex to figure that out. Like, oh, I get it now. But the first thing that turns off when your body is activated, when your shoulders are up or when your chest is tight or when you're bracing or you're clenching your fist is your prefrontal cortex, the most important part of doing life. Because this thing drinks sugar like crazy. It's like a kindergartner in a candy store. More sugar! And so the body says, no, you got to shut it down because we might need that sugar to run or fight. So then it goes to the midbrain. And the midbrain, all the midbrain does is begin to communicate back to the body. Oh, we're noticing that your shoulders are up, Mark. Oh, we're noticing that your, your, your palms are sweating, Mark. Oh, we're noticing that your mouth is dry, Mark. And then when that happens, all of a sudden, the fuse blows and I'm in my amygdala, my brain stem. And all the brain stem does is fight or flight. And it doesn't do it well. It's like the squirrel in the middle of the road. You've all seen it like. Just decide, squirrel. I'm stopping for you. Pick a side of the road. You know. But you can't do it because your brain is shut off. And you know what? You won't get your brain back on until you settle your body. And one of the reasons that so many people are still struggling with the aftershock of COVID is that our bodies went active. They naturally do. Our bodies are, are part of a satellite dish that are discerning danger. And, and so it gets activated. And w- once that's activated, there's less of your brain available to work, which is why you hear things like COVID brain. Or you see people doing really silly things. Or you see a lot of reactive arguments. Because the best part of our brain just got shut off. We have to find settled. And one of the most important things that I, that I would tell you to do is find settled in your body. Part of your regular morning devotion, part of your regular Sabbath practice should be you go someplace that feels like this gentleman's tree stand where your body begins to just go, oh, where is that in your life? For some guys, it's the garage. For some gals, it's, you know, like I know one gal, she goes, I really find Jesus in Target. And I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, I do. I just love all the distractions. I'm like, I don't know, maybe. Sure doesn't work for me. I don't find Jesus in Target. <laughs> but you see, you, most people don't know what settled feels like. Do you? I didn't know. And when I, when I hit 56 and I hit my burnout, 
I thought I was doing fine until one of my mentors sat across from me at a lunch, got right in my grill and said, you are burned out. No, I'm not. I'm just a little tired. You are burned out. Repeat after me. I mean, the waitress like, was walking over and she was like, mm. And finally I said, well, I might be burned out. No, Mark, you're burned out. I was. I was so burned out, I didn't know I was burned out. I was so used to tired that I didn't know I was tired. Do you know? You've got to come away. Like Jesus says, come away with me. And know what it feels like to be settled in your body. Because as you soak in that, your soul will follow suit. Yeah, yes. Yes. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you go back to the idea of there's the external and the internal, when you're raising kids, we raised five kids, and um, you, you can try all you can to plan externally, and usually it gets blown up. So then it's the internal focus. What can you do to nurture quiet that you can carry with you? And when you're in a duress, can you take a breath find Jesus, and find a piece of that quiet. And so what I tell people that are in a really busy season, like I would guess you are with kids and the demand of that and um, the demand of ministry surrounding that, is that it's so important. In fact, I, I'm going to skip ahead and I'm going to answer, keep answering your question, but I'm going I'm to draw for a little bit. Actually, I have a slide, but I think it... What happens to us in the external world is we start with output all the time. And so there's the things I need, to, I think I need to get done. And there's the thing Betsy would like me to get done. And then there's the thing that Maria, one of my kids, and Joe, Saya, one of my kids, and Rebecca, and then John Mark, and then Ben. That's just my family. Then the church calls. How many of us feel like this? Like this is unlimited flooding tide and most people say, well, what you need to do is just get your calendar out and just fill in the blanks. And No. Just because your calendar has 30 lines on a day doesn't mean you can do 30 lines in a day. So you need to have some sense. By the way, John quickly cleaned the board and I said, Johnny, you did such a great job, but you know what's going to happen? I'm going to write on it and it's going to stay on there. <laughs> John was like, no, no, no. But it's true. So we need to have some sense of bandwidth. And that, that bandwidth, as long as we stay in this bandwidth, we'll be okay. And even if we get pushed out, there's going to be a place where we can recover. Does that make sense? But we need to have some way of calibrating what is this bandwidth here. Because that will tell me what I can actually do here, output. And when you have a family, and if the family has certain unique needs to the family, 
that becomes a, kind of the screen of, you know what, I'd really like to do that study or lead that thing or volunteer in this place. But when I look at my bandwidth, it was what's the regular demand on that? I, I can't squeeze something else in there. Does that make sense so far? But people will say, well, am I stuck in this level of bandwidth? And I would say, no, the thing that we really need to concentrate on is input. And I draw it as a funnel. Because if I'm trying to figure out what is my regular sustainable bandwidth, how much can I really get done? And I pick my very best day. I played too many years of college football. And so there's probably, I don't even think I get one day anymore a year where my body wakes up and it goes, oh great, let's start the day. Most days I, I wake up and Betsy hears this. Oh. You okay? I will be. And I slide out of bed and I have to do these rolling exercises to open up my shoulders and loosen the herniated discs in my back and you know, eventually. So if I were to say I would take my very best day and use that as my bandwidth guy down here, I would die very fast. Maybe that would be a good thing, just get it over with. <laughs> but I, it's not sustainable. You want to think sustainable. And if I take my worst day down here, then I'm really not, I'm not planning well. I'm, I'm really hiding from the stretch. So I want to have some sense of a sustainable place right now in my life becomes the measurement that I can use here. Does this make sense so far, you guys? Right. Now, you can increase your bandwidth by your input. But in order to get more input, you've got to take down some of the output. You've got to say no to some of that so that you get either some more time with the Lord. I, um, Jeff and I had a quick bathroom conversation. I'm going to go public with that. I hope that's okay. <laughs> but he's talking, yeah, he was talking about the importance of Hillary's time on a Monday night to get away. I remember when we had young kids and they were all over there. Betsy wanted to stay at home. Bless her heart. That's a courageous thing to do. She stayed at home with the kids. And it was a really busy ministry season. I remember one time coming home from lunch, because there was only two blocks from the church. When I came home, Betsy was under a pile of kids. <laughs> I said, are you, are you, okay, you're breathing. That's good. Are you all right? And she, she was just laying there because she was exhausted. And of course, little kids, what do they do? They think it's playtime, so they're rumbling on there. And so I made lunch. We sat down and we had lunch. And then as I got ready to go, I could just see the weariness on Betsy's face. And I said, we got to do this different. I don't know what it's going to look like. But one of the things that I asked her to do, I said, even as you're doing, can you, she has a really good brain. I said, can, can you think of some things that would be really helpful We'll make time in the calendar. We will plan for it. I will say no to some things so I can say yes to some of these things and you can slowly get back to some input in some places. And it wasn't, it didn't make like, oh, the angels didn't arrive. Oh, no, no, it's all good now. You know, because life has its challenges. We need to be resilient. But Betsy would go up to church and she'd play the piano. She loves to play the piano. She would worship for a little while. Sometimes she would just go up to church and there was uh, an office next to my office. It was a counseling room. It had a couch in it. And she would take a nap. 
Sometimes she would go be with a friend, but she would do input. But in order for that to happen, we had to say no to certain output. So let me ask you right now to write on your piece of paper, what are some things that you can do, and I kind of hinted to this previous session, that when you do these things, they either help you find calm or to recover energy. And it could be some of the things mentioned, praying, praising, um, sitting in the tree stand, some practices. Were you able to find some? Not a rhetorical question. It's an honest question. Give me a nod. Were you able to find some? Yes. Yeah. You, if, you, if you're not, take heart. Start watching. But here's the thing that, that during my burnout that became so obvious to me is that when I look back in my journals during the really busy season, because what had happened is I took over a church and I, I was working somewhere between 85 and 95 hours a week. And what I would do is I would just, all these things would come at me and I would start working on it. And, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd go to bed, say about 9.30 at night, and I'd be exhausted. And I'd fall asleep for about an hour. And then when I would wake up, my nervous system would be started and I would get up out of bed so I didn't disturb Betsy and I would start working again. And I'd work on a sermon, or I'd work on a planning thing. And then I would do that for about an hour, hour and a half, and I'd fall asleep at my desk. And that's not the most comfortable, most restful place to do. And then I'd wake up again, and I'd start working all over again. And I was just blowing myself up. And when I looked back over my calendar and my journals, I was not doing any of the things that recharged me. I was not walking in the woods. I was not playing any of my instruments. I wasn't journaling. I wasn't writing music. I was just running like a rat on one of those wheels. And what I want you to do, this is a practice, this is a homework thing, is I want you to find those things that fill you up and schedule one of those every day. And on your Sabbath, splurge. Do two or three. Live like a rock star. Just really... Enjoy the day. What are the things that really fill your tank? And if we are giving attention and noticing and watching those things, we'll get some measure of recovery. Because that's what we can do. We can't change externally the demand. You know, you can't send the kids away. Well, you could, but <laughs> I can tell you're a compassionate, caring mom. You know, the external things, we can't really control, but we can foster some inner things that help us? Long answer to a short question. Now here's the other thing, and I'm going to use my PowerPoint slides. This is how most of us look. I'm doing good. I'm still rolling. 
And there's this thing called hurry sickness because our output is just too high, not measured to our bandwidth, and our input is really lacking. So, this is the idea of bandwidth. And we always have a little extra margin. What happened when COVID hit that was so weird about it, it was all this unknown, and then there was all this turmoil around it, and all this confusion, all of that takes away a certain measure of bandwidth from us because we're holding that. But the reality is, is that if most of us stay within the margins of our bandwidth, we're okay. We could do all right. When you're weary and you're worn, why Jesus says, come to me as he's saying, I want you to recalibrate your bandwidth. What do I expect of you? What do you expect of you? Do that in my presence. Now, there's something else that's really interesting about this, too. I think it was Stanford did a study, and they were trying to figure out why um, good violinists would become virtuosos. Is there anything that they do or don't do that moves them from just good to great? And what they discovered in this was a wonderful discovery that each of us have these three potential 90-minute windows of energy, focus, and attention. If you're, if you're a morning person, they're on the front side of the day. If you're an evening person, they're on the back side of the day. But the potential for three 90-minute focused places where you have energy and attention exists in all of us, in our capacity. And what they discovered in the Stanford study was the people that move from being good players to virtuosos is they focus their practice time according to those places where they had energy and focus. Makes sense, doesn't it? Most of us have no awareness, but I want you to take a moment and think right now, what part of the day do you feel like you have the most energy and the best brain? Write it down. What part of the day do you feel like you have the most energy and the best brain? Hmm? Just, it's easy to start with one. Now take note of that, because you know what, if you have the luxury of kind of arranging your calendars to some degree, which is a luxury. Um, you can direct some of your more challenging projects or plans to that one that you know that you have. The other thing is, is it also becomes a good launching point because the reality is, is that if you push yourself, because the flow of attention looks like a bell curve. You start here like I'm gonna focus, you get gear one, gear two, gear three, and then you get the swell of the bell. And this swell of the bell is this 90-minute potential place. Now, if you push past the swell, your body just naturally begins to get tired. All you college students, stay away from all-nighters. I have like myriads of information I could give you on why all-nighters are not a good idea. But most of us will have the tendency to think, I'm in a really good flow here, and you push out. And you don't allow there to be a natural uh, slowing down of your focus and your attention. And what happens is what's happening in the slide, you borrow from the bank. And your next swell is diminished. 
And your third one, it'll be even less, maybe non-existent. So when people are not aware of where their best swell is, they can lose track of how they're going to plan for the remainder of the day. They can lose potential places of energy, focus, and attention, which is a real problem, isn't it? Everyone should have three of these. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we start talking about ADHD, I need a couple of days to do a conference to talk about neurologically what happens. You know, there are, there's just such complexity with it. But in your human nervous system, there seems to be, the general trend is, three 90-minute swells. Everyone has that potential. What's happened to us, uh, you know, electronica is new. The, 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 the electricity that we submit our bodies to is new, and it's intensified so much with these things now. And there's, it's true that the eye is the light of the soul. It, it stimulates our nervous system in ways that are really not recorded in history. We are in a new place. So just the stimulus of light and electricity and the 74 gigabytes of information makes all of us a little bit ADHD. But then when it, there are other proclivities that, that crumble. But I've worked with people that have attention deficits. And if we can get them to realize when their body and their brain feels most rested and focused, we can begin to build out and get a swell. It may not be automatically 90 minutes, but we can get some. Once they get that and they learn that, they can build on that and maybe recover some other swells. Most people, how many of you could think of your day and get three? That's really good. Yeah, that's really good. Most crowds that I talk to, they can't. They can find one, maybe two. But if you can start with one and identify how it feels, it can also help you identify later in the day. They're not necessarily all equal in energy, but the potential for focus is there. Well, there's coffee. <laughs> I, you know, I can't really, I don't know. The research emphasized that every person has three potential swells. I don't know. There could be people. Like, there always are people that are uniquely wired. Like when they studied, when Rick Warren hit his uh, burnout, the pastor of Saddleback Church, you know Rick Warren? Uh, tremendous guy. And um, what they discovered in Rick Warren is his adrenal gland is three times the size of a normal human being's. So no wonder this guy could keep doing like five services on Sunday and two on Saturday and, and do it for his whole life. So he had this massive adrenal gland. So he, he might have four or five. Yes, ma'am. Yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, purpose-driven, yeah, it's helping a lot of people, yeah. So, what's important for you to do is to begin to adopt this new mascot of pacing. Because as the fable says, who won the race? Steady. The important thing for us to realize is that revelation 
the thing that we're craving comes out of rest. If you look at the book in the Bible, every place that Revelation emerges, it's coming out of a place of rest. Joseph falls asleep. He doesn't know if he should leave Mary, who is now pregnant, supposedly with God's child. He's at rest. He's sleeping. He gets a dream. Dreams are throughout the scripture. But there's places where Elijah gets pulled aside and he gets a revelation from the Lord. In your life, you will be finding yourself coming apart at the seams and missing revelation because you don't have a plan for rest. And it's so incredibly critical that we plan for a good regular input every day. We plan every week a Sabbath that we not just check out, but that we check in. And that as we're practicing these things, probably most important is we discover what it feels like internally to be settled and at rest. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I don't know, you know, sometimes when you plan these things, you think time is going to go slower. But you know, if you can, stand up for a moment. This next session, we're not going to spend a lot of time. Can your brains, if we go like 10 more minutes, can you go 10, then take a break? All right, stand up for a second and just stretch a little bit. It's really important. I appreciate your asking questions. I know sometimes for the sake of flow, you know, I answer it with a bit of brevity not because I, I, I don't care about the question or might not have more to say, so I'm always glad to sit down and talk at a break or afterwards with you if you have more questions about an answer. All right, we have a chair here, and we're continuing our idea about resiliency and having a plan. And you remember when we started, we talked about this matrix of formation and that if we're really going to get down to be the best version of you, we have to be focusing on the people who are influencing our life and the practices that we're giving our life to. And what I want to talk with you just for a moment is what it looks like when God steps into the picture and he begins to work in your life and redirect who are the people that are going to form your life. He calls it discipleship. He calls it what the psalmist says, that God sets the lonely in families. And I would not be who I am and doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for the wife that God gave to me and the people that God surrounded in my life. They had just a huge impact. And it started before I, I uh, even was a Christian. I was, uh, it was my junior year in college, and I, I was a a wild man. I was crazy. I was a drug dealer. I was also an athlete who was very known. And so I had this weird kind of image and I was a troublemaker. And I'm sure that the people in the, in the college were just looking for ways to get rid of me. And one day my roommate came back and he had, he had brought a, a couple of blowguns, you know, you know, the blowguns shoot a dart. And of course, being the intelligent college students, we were wandering around campus shooting squirrels. And by golly, we hit one. Just why these girls were coming out and they freaked out because there's a squirrel hanging from the tree by a dart screaming. And the, so the girls went to report us and we got the version of what it, on campus, what does it look like to get arrested? And so I was before the Judiciary Council 
my roommate Jerome was automatically put on probation, no big deal, but this is our chance to get rid of Spencer. And there before the president of the college, all the deans, uh, consortium of students, I'm having my trial and they decided to expel me. The president of the college said, Mr. Spencer, you are a student of renown. You're the first student to ever be expelled from Ripon College. Congratulations. And I, in my insides, I was thinking, yeah, I earned this. I deserve this. So I kind of resigned myself. I was thinking, man, what am I going to tell my mom? Because she was so proud, the first Spencer to go to college, you know. And just then, a man named Steve Gould stood up. And Steve said, can I have a word with the council without Mark in the room? The president said, granted. They ushered me out of the room. And this guy, Steve Gould, who I did not know at all, went to bat for me. Five minutes later, I come back in, and the president said, well, given Mr. Gould's uh, optimism for you, you are reinstated to the college. You'll always be on probation. <laughs> and uh, that's that. And so the, the evening concluded, and I, I, my mind was spinning. It was like, what in the world just happened? And so we were walking back, and Steve Gould, I saw him walking on the path, and I ran up to him, and I said, whoa, 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 Dean Gould, what in the world? Why would you do that? What I was thinking is like, what are you smoking? Because I want to try some of that. And, and, and he turned around, and I'll never forget, I can still remember the look in his eyes. He turned around, he looked me straight in the eyes, and he said, I see something worth investing in. And I'd never had anybody say anything like that to me before. It stopped me in my tracks. And then he said, which shocked me, he goes, in fact, I want you to apply to be the head resident of your dorm next year. And I'm like, you are smoking something really wild. And he said, I think you'd be really good at it. So that ushered us into Christmas break. When we came back for Christmas break, they did the interviews for who's going to be the hall directors in the senior dorms. I went through the interview process. Some of the same people who were going to kick me out passed me through. I got the job. I got the job. <laughs> so now I am in charge of Beauvais Hall, the wildest. It's the Animal House dorm on campus. Spencer's in charge. And so all my rowdy friends are on the second floor having a party to bring second floor down to first floor. I'm in my apartment with pacing, and I'm thinking, I haven't stood for anything. This guy went out on a limb for me. I'm going out on a limb for him. And I went up. Good thing I was a big football player. Went up, turned off the stereo, sent him writing you all up, parties over. And they're like, ha, ha, really funny. And I started writing people up. And it separated me out from all those friends. And God was at work because of this person named Steve Gould in my life. And that led to another opportunity, to another opportunity, to another opportunity. I hope as I tell that to you, that you know someone in your life that has marked your life for good. And if not, we're about to find some. Because what Jesus calls us to is come follow me and I will send you out to find your people. All of our life we're looking for our place, the promised land, and our people. Where's my place Where's the people? And we know it's not good for us to be alone. And we know that right now, there's like over half of Americans are consistently feeling lonely. Since the pandemic, 67 Americans have felt more alone than ever before. And here's the reality is, I am finding in the last two years, people are lonely and they don't know it. 
They become desensitized to loneliness and it erodes you. 73% of pastors do not have a person to go to and talk to and, and confess to and confide in. And the reality is, is that most spiritual wipeouts occur when alone. That was David's story. He was alone. So we've got to do some thinking now. When you go back to this idea of people in your life, I want you on a sheet of paper to draw a tic-tac-toe board. That's right, we're going to finish this section playing a good old-fashioned game of tic-tac-toe. Not really. Get the tic-tac-toe board on there. And I want you to think about people who have influenced your life in good ways or people's influence that you crave, that you want to know. Because the reality is, we're going to skip over this part. The reality is, is that on the top row are people who give you passion. These are mentors, teachers, and models. This was Steve Gould in my life. He was a passion giver. No one had told me that I, that I had something worthwhile in investing in. And so in that top row, and there's nothing magic about the three squares. They're just representing windows in your life. You might be blessed and have six squares of people that when you're with, they give you passion. They encourage you. You come away feeling more energized, more focused, more hopeful because of these passion givers. There's passion sharers that are in the middle row. These are people that maybe you, you work with or church members or neighbors. You get together with these people and they're not draining, but they don't necessarily charge you like the passion sharers. And then here's the passion takers. The passion takers, I don't think I need to describe, they just go. And when you leave, you are like drained and exhausted. Do you know what I mean? Now, because we're moving through this fairly quickly, I'll just ask you to take a moment and think about how does your grid look? Are you loaded with passion takers? When I looked, when I looked at my grid during my burnout, I was like, e gads. And when you're a counselor and when you've been at it for 40 years, lots of people know you and lots of people will, will nicely refer people to you and you can have so many people knocking on the door of your life. But I need to plan out of settled. And if I'm, if I'm giving all my time to passion takers, it's my bad, not anybody else's. That's what I was doing. I hope every person in the room has someone in that top row, a passion giver. Let me just say this, that if you don't, then what I encourage you to start with is ask the Lord, what are you teaching me right now? What do I need to grow in? When I was a, a young pastor in Eden Prairie, um, we, had, we had three young kids at that point in time, and I came from an alcoholic home. And my dad was never there. And so I wanted to be a good dad. In fact, one of the keys for Betsy saying yes to my will you marry me was I told her, I, I don't care if I'm rich or famous, but I, I, this is what I care about. I want to be a good dad and a decent husband. And if on my tombstone says, here lies a guy that was a decent dad and a good husband, I died a happy man. I'm fulfilled. 
But I was realizing with three little ones, I had no clue how to be a good dad. None. I didn't have a dad. So it's like, what, how does this look? So thinking about my grid, what I would do is if I was preaching on that Sunday, I would finish preaching. And which way is your children's room from here? That way. I'd finish. And if someone wanted to talk to me, I said, could you hold that? But I would go through those doors to children's and I would look for the dads that were there. Number one, that was my first thing. And then when the kids came out of Sunday school and they're like, dad, and they would jump, you know, like, dad, you're a superhero. That was my beeline. And I would go over to that dad and I'd say, I will buy you coffee, breakfast, lunch, dinner. I'll wash your car, whatever I can to get a little bit of time with you because I want to find out why your kids rumble like that when they come out. I need to know. And so I started filling my top line with these dads like that and just asking questions and saying, can I come over to your house, <laughs> you know, and just see you dad. And I learned so much, right? That was discipleship. So you might not know, you know, you might not have anybody, but if you start with that in mind, like what do I need? You could begin to recruit and do it with passion. I mean, yeah. Does that make sense? Because people, you need people in your life. Martin Seligman was the president of the APA, the American Psychological Association, and he started a movement when he was presiding. He was very concerned because he was seeing the neurological imagery of people that were in solitary confinement. And it was horrifying. Do you know when you put somebody in solitary confinement, their brain will shrink by up to a third. And here's the odd thing about it. There's so little stimulus, it doesn't come back. So if you're trying to rehabilitate a prisoner by putting him in solitary confinement, you're shooting yourself in both feet. You're destroying their brain. And the loneliness and the separation and the isolation that we're experiencing in the Western world is horrifying. It's corrupting our brains. And the way to get bounce back, the way to get resiliency is for you to focus on your grid and especially who are the passion givers. And interesting enough in working with people, sometimes you being a passion giver for another can give you passion. Have you realized that? When I invest in another person, something bounces back for me. Does that make sense? Okay, so I went a little bit longer than I wanted to go. But that's people. So I want to take a break. Let's take a 10-minute break, all right? And I don't know, are we, what are we doing? Are we eating more muffins and drinking coffee? or Yeah, whatever. So head out there, 10 minutes, bathroom break, stretch. We're going to come back, another shorter session, and then questions. Okay, gang. Mom back in. How are you doing? Great. Great? Holding up? What's what are some things that stuck with you from the last session? What's still floating around and that? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is, is so critical, isn't it? And, and, and one of the things that we're seeing in our country and in the business world and actually in the church world too is um, what I call reactive leadership. If a leader does not know how to be settled, he will not have the best parts of his brain. And then he or she will not be making good decisions, which we see a lot of these days, don't we? They're reactive decisions. And so it is so important, if you get anything out of today, it will be learning to foster finding settled. JR will tell you, when we talk on the phone, somewhere along in that conversation, every time, <laughs> are you finding settled? Are you, getting, are you carrying quiet? That ability to carry quiet and calm are so critical. What else? Anything else staying with you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons that pace is so important and involved in it is that if we're not taking time for relationships, which is it's really starting to fall by the wayside. I can't remember the most recent stat, but the amount of American families that have a meal together at a table at the same time, way, way, way down. And what was meant to be a communal time of connection um, is lost. Most people are in the car or they're driving through some place or scurrying. And so we have to, you know, maybe that is when you have teenage kids that are running around, maybe that's the state of being, but you still have to foster intentional times for connection. It's really important. Yeah, you have to be a guide, yeah. <laughs> well, you gotta pace so that you can get time with your people and to give time to people. And really, what makes it all work is this sense of power. You know, there was a time in David's life, here in this incident, it's at Ziglag, and, and they had left the women and children to go to war, and when they came back, their village had been ransacked. And all these, I mean, David ran with some pretty tough Harley riders back in those days. And they had lost their families, and they, they were set to kill David. And the scripture says, just very simply, that David strengthened himself in the Lord or encouraged himself in the Lord. He knew how, in, a, in the moment of trouble, to find settled, to connect. And we need to foster that. And that just takes practice and focus to do this. And so we're going to take... The rest of the time, and I'm just going to talk for probably 30 minutes, and then we'll take some time for some questions if you have some questions. By the way, Nick, uh, he did make a copy of that devotional sheet. That's here. 
And then he's also making some additional copies of something that we're going to talk about in a few minutes here that you can take with you. So that's going to be available to you. Paul accomplished an incredible amount. When you look at the map of his journeys in a day before there was any kind of airline service, he, he really traveled the known globe almost three total times. And to do what he did is incredible. But he makes a statement in Colossians that I toil, a struggle with all his energy that powerfully works within me. In other words, he had his eye on his input because Paul clearly understood what Jesus told his students before his departure. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can look at the Greek word and it means nada, zip. You can't, you're you're done. So this idea of pacing, connecting with people, growing in that kind of thing, it needs to be done in a way where we're working with the grace of God in us. I love how Eugene Peterson translated Matthew 11, especially this phrase that's highlighted. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's what I love. How many here would like to learn the unforced rhythms of grace? Boy, if there's a line that makes it go, yes, can I have two? I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting and you keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that's this idea that we're going to talk about, you know, the thing that we're focusing on are the practices that you can do. And that includes the pathways and the presence of the Lord. Our input needs to be including these spiritual practices, but also just life practices. I know guys that restore old cars. And for them, they say, Mark, when I'm in the garage working on a car, I just, it's very easy for me to talk to the Lord. And I said, I bet you when you drop that bolt down and you can't get to it, (laughs) there's a quick conversation, isn't there? You know, they laugh. But, you know, sometimes we think, you know, these other practices, they're they're, they're a different thing, but all of life is sacred. Paul says, whatever you do, whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. So it could be carpentry, knitting, drawing, painting, all these different things. But we want to make sure that we have practices that increase our passion and our connection with the Lord. Pathways we're going to talk about in a minute, and they all lead us to a place where we really are uh, sensing the Lord's presence in our life because we know in his presence is fullness of joy, right? When the Lord is clearly and obviously in a moment with us, we feel so settled because of that. Now, for the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to just kind of skim over these things, these slides that are here. JR and Jason can make available to you guys if you'd like the slides, because on the slides are the notes. Um, I am uh, currently working on a workbook in a book that encompasses these principles and some other ones. But because of the sake of time and just our capacity, I'm going to walk you through these things so at least you're you're aware of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about practices. So these practices that are really important for us to include that are spiritual, a regular connection with the Bible, 
prayer, quiet, and then there's some other things that you may want to include depending on your personality. Now, the reality in our world is this, that right now, according to Pew Research, 82% of American Christians only read their Bible on Sundays while in church. The only input of the Bible comes when they're sitting in the chair that you're sitting in on a Sunday morning. I don't say that to condemn people, but I do say it to suggest that it's one of the reasons that Christian faith has become more anemic in our hour. When Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, we've got to come up with ways where we're re-engaging the word of God. And I want to give you just a few things to think about in your planning. If we're going to re-engage the Bible, what, what does it look like, Mark? So here's what I would say to you. Is that every day, you should be looking for some kind of a dose of Scripture. Sometimes for me, my brain is tired. And when I'm writing to work, I, I use the, um, I think it's called the U Bible app. Is that what it's called? Do I have that right? Yeah, yep, yep. And so on that is an audio version, and I'll listen to it. And if I'm preaching out of Philippians 1, I'll just listen as I drive. And sometimes even after I've read it, I'll take a moment to put my headphones on and listen to it. There's a different part of your brain that's activated when you listen as opposed to when you read. They're both good. But if you find yourself in a place where a daily dose is, is hard for you to take, try listening to the Bible. If you've never done that before, try listening to it. Or do something like uh, subscribe to the Daily Bread devotional. I read that daily. And I like it because you get, uh, I love stories. You get a little story based on a scripture. You get an application of that scripture. And then down below, if you want more, there's more scriptures there. But you've got to make it a regular practice to ingest the word of God. And not just ingest it, but think about it. And one of my mentors said to me, Mark, before uh, or during or after, you have to let the word of God read you just as you've read it. And it, I talk to so many Christians when they come in and they sit down and they talk with me. I'll ask them about what are they learning from the word and, and their blank look will come over there and I'll realize they have not been connecting in, in any kind of interactive way. The Bible is there as a living and active guidebook to stir us, to convict us, to nurture us, to feed us. And lastly, some, some sense of applying it like, okay, Lord, I hear you saying this or that to me. How? How do I wear this? So a daily dose that leads you to really do some examination according to that light and how are you going to walk it out. Does that make sense? So critical. One of the reasons that Christians are struggling mentally, I think, in, in the activities of our world right now is we don't have a sharp word of God, the, the word of God coming to divide soul and spirit and truth and untruth. And so if you're not giving yourself 
time for that. You're not going to experience that. So I implore you to give yourself time for the scripture. It's an important practice. Every Christian needs to. It's true for prayer as well. I'm looking at the clock and I'm not going to belabor the point. I think most of us uh, understand the importance of prayer. But it's the idea of not just telling God, but also listening to God. There's this idea in 1 Peter 5, 7, where the encouragement is, cast your cares on him, that's part A, for he cares for you, that's part B. It's so many Christians that will come and sit down in my office and talk to me about what's going on in their life, say, have you prayed about it? They'll say, yes. And what have you heard about it? I don't know. How has God answered the prayer? I don't know. Has God lifted the concern from your heart? I don't know. Well, you need to know. And that process of casting it and then receiving his care is a real important practice to foster. Make sense? And part of what helps that is this practice of quiet. Because when you're quiet, you're moving with a three-mile-an-hour God. A Japanese theologian made that little idea famous when he said, God moves at the speed of love. He never runs ahead. If you feel driven, the shepherd never drives. It's somebody else. The shepherd always guides, leads, calls, nurtures. And so this idea of quiet is so important to find settled. When I was um, in my 30s and I had a number of mentors. One of my mentors was Jim LaFoon, uh, a fellow from North Carolina. And I went to do some ministry with Jim down in North Carolina. And one morning I noticed he would always go out to the creek with a lawn chair and sit by the creek. And if Jim LaFoon was a real character. I said, what, what are you doing out there, LaFoon? And he said, I'm just sitting with the Lord. What? Yeah, I just sit by the creek with the Lord. You're sleeping. No, I'm not. I'm sitting with the Lord. And then he turned to me, and he's a prophet, so he gave me this prophetic look. When you get those prophets hot, you know, and he said, I challenge you to sit with the Lord 10 minutes every day quietly. Done. I'll do it, LaFoon, just to spite you. I could not believe how long 10 minutes felt. I can remember the first few times where I'm just trying to sit and I look at my watch. My God, it's only been a minute. Go back and my brain is racing. Oh man, it's only been three minutes. I can't do this. But I remember talking to the food. I said, I, my brain bounces all over the place. He goes, yep. What do I do about that? Just sit. Will it ever stop? Don't know. That's encouraging. But here's what I found. I mean, that was 30 years ago. I found, and this is my practice. This is, this is what I do. This is how it might not work like this for you. But I wake up in the morning at 4 o'clock in the morning almost regularly because my old body says, well, we're getting up. We don't know about you, but we're getting up. Okay. So I make some coffee, and I go sit in, in my favorite chair in my office. And I drink my coffee, 
and I do what I describe as a a quiet car ride with God. I just sit with him. And I hope you all have friends that you could go on a long car ride with and don't feel like you need to fill the conversation space. You could just be quiet. Do you know what I mean? And that's that's the vibe. As I sit with God, it's just like, morning, Papa. And I sit. And probably in 30 years of practicing that, I could count on two hands the times where I felt like the Lord said something to me in that time. But I knew I'd been with him. And it settled me. And it stuck with me. So much so that that regular practice affords me a settledness, a quietness that's portable. I had been invited to do an intervention of a fellow who was an alcoholic, a very functional businessman, uh, but uh, really his alcoholism was off the charts. And so we had to do this intervention with the family. And it had started, it seemed like it was going to roll out good, and all of a sudden it erupted like a volcano. And literally there were people out of their chairs, in one another's faces, screaming. There were things flying in the air. And I'm sitting in my chair like, oh my gosh, what, what do I do? And I, I heard uh, the Lord speak to me, a whisper turns away wrath. And so I just went like this. Could we sit down? Could we please sit down? That's, that's, that's exactly the tone. Could we, could we sit down? Could we, could we talk? Could we please sit down? Finally, the guy who was the guy that we were trying to help turned around and goes, what are you saying? And I'm saying, I'm wondering if we could sit down and talk. And he goes, why in the world are you so calm? Jesus. Now, could we sit down? We sat down, and it really, it changed the mood in that moment. I would not be able to do that if I did not have a consistent practice of finding quiet and carrying it. You got to figure it out, folks. I don't know what it's going to look like with you, but you've got to find a place where there's quiet and you connect with the living God. Does that make sense? Really important. The last 10 minutes, you're going to feel like Mark. Remember, you talked about pace. We're going to walk through this concept called sacred pathways because I found this to be really important. Pathways come out of an idea from a, a guy who is a spiritual director and writer named Gary Thomas. He's a wonderful guy. And the idea was is that there's certain paths, he calls them, certain ways that we connect with the Lord more readily than other ways. For me, like I'm what Gary Thomas would call a naturalist. I love to be outside. So if I'm walking in the woods, like I'll leave the busy office and I have a couple of different woods that I walk in and I walk in the woods and as soon as I get in the woods, it's like, hello, God. And I'm not a tree hugger, so don't freak out. But you know, there is something about being in that space that's an easy pathway for me to connect with the Lord. The other one for me is worship. Uh, And not so much worship in a corporate setting, but me with my guitar or mandolin or banjo, um, just playing in the presence of the Lord. So I want to walk through, kind of doing an overview. And um, on the table here is a little uh, survey that you can take 
And you go through and you'll score yourself. And when you get done, you'll discover what are your top three pathways. And then on this sheet here, there's some recommended devotional adventures for each pathway. Like the first one is naturalist. Uh, here's some ideas. You could plan a variety of outdoor walks at different times of the days of the week. Or do an early morning sunrise walk. It's a great opportunity to reflect on the Lord's new mercies. Or do an evening walk after the stars are really out. You guys have great stars in Montana. I love it. It's a great time to reflect on Psalm 147.4 and that he calls out the stars by name. Plan a longer retreat time out in the woods or someplace out in a cabin. Uh, in a pinch, take a walk outside uh, at lunchtime. So there's different devotional things. Have, have any of you heard of this idea of sacred pathways? Yeah, some people have, yeah. So it's this idea. So let me walk you through the idea. The first one I've mentioned is naturalist. You connect with God in a way through what he's made. You feel alive when you walk in the woods. He just seems near. There were several places on my drive through North Dakota and into Montana where I just would pull off and it was, it was a beautiful scene and I wanted to just stop and go, Lord, man, you're just showing off. This is crazy. So beautiful after all this rough stuff that we've put it through. This idea of a sensate, you connect with God through your senses. These are people that they love like candlelight or aroma candles or beauty or color or sound or smell. All of it seems to engage you in a way. It draws you in and there's an attention. They have a real eye for decorating usually, but their decorating usually has a purpose behind it where they connect with the Lord. A traditional list is one who connects through ritual practice. It's very interesting to me that this next generation, um, there's been a kind of recovery of the joy of liturgy, which to me, there wasn't much of an attraction to that. But to them, there's something about the routine or the pattern of it. For some of them, that is really a connection. Far be it for me to hold it back. It's a sacred pathway for them. Um, this idea of being an ascetic, connecting with God through solitude and simplicity. There's a movement abroad about minimalists and different people and Christians that are really trying to live with the simplicity. It's likely that their asceticism is uh, a way that they connect with God. An activist, these are people that are go-getters. They're the people that are, uh, you know, out uh, parading and protesting or doing something or leading some kind of a, an activation, but they connect with God through acts and action. If you are an activist, it's really important. One leader I know that was a real strong activist said that if they didn't hit their knees first when they got out of bed, if they hit their feet first, they'd be unactive. If they hit their knees first, they would connect with God in a different way where their activity was more directed by the Lord. So if you're one of these activists, hit your knees first. Do yourself a favor. Caregiver. I've seen these people who connect with God as they serve others. It's really important if you're a caregiver to mind your grid and to make sure that you are getting some passion givers instead of just people who are passion takers. Does that make sense? Worship is an obvious one for a lot of people. When worship begins to start, they connect. 
uh, with the Lord in a unique way. It makes it easier to sense the Lord's presence and to talk with him. Contemplation involves quiet and connection with the Lord. Prayer, silence, uh, journaling are all things that contemplatives do. Um, another one, I think it's the last, yeah, it is the last one, is uh, intellectual. And these are the ones who are stimulated by reading a, a deep book or studying a system of theology or looking at some method of apologia they, when, they, when they begin to really gear their brains, they feel naturally a connection. And so they, they love guys like Tim Keller and uh, they, they feed on that because they connect. So as I say that to you, let me go back over these. I'm going to walk through slowly. See if you don't have one or two that stand out to you as, I think those might be me. And you can take, take the test, but let's just walk through. Do you connect with God being outdoors? You might be a naturalist. Do you connect with God through your senses? And when there's color, and aroma could be sound. Do you connect with God through pattern or ritual? Or do you connect with God through solitude and simplicity? Are you an activist? You say, forget that solitude and simplicity. I'm going to go move a mountain. <laughs> Are you a caregiver? Does that mean something to you? Are you a person who connects through worship in a uniquely easy way or contemplation? And lastly, intellect. The big thing for you to think about is are you on your path on a daily basis? So please do yourself a favor because this is the input thing. Remember when we were talking about input up here a big part of the input part that comes in here are your sacred pathways are you daily availing yourself in a very intentional and focused way to be on your paths it, it's important how many of you know of a man who's now with the Lord named George Mueller have you heard of George Mueller a lot of my heroes are dead. And, and, and I like that because I know how they finished, you know? It's like, yeah, George is one of my heroes. I love George Mueller. And he was a, an incredibly active guy. This is just uh, a few things that he did, but he had a, a large school that was both a seminary and a university's day. He had five orphanages with literally thousands of orphans under his care, he did it all by faith. It, there's no known record, no known person that he ever came to and said, would you consider uh, donating to my orphanages? He made it an object of prayer. He did all this while he was preaching three times a week from 1830 to 1898. They, they estimate that he preached probably a total of over 10,000 times. 
When he turned 70, he rejoiced because now he could become a full-time missionary. For the next 17 years, until he was 87, he traveled to 42 countries, preaching an average of once a day, and they estimate that he addressed some 3 million people. His power, when people would ask him, you know what he said? My chief object every morning is to get my soul happy in the Lord. I will not attend to any item of business or ministry until it is. And he had developed a plan, an ongoing plan, through all that ministry, through all that demand, through all those different shifting pieces where he knew how to keep his soul happy in the Lord. If George did it, we'd be smart to do it as well, right? So my plea to you today is to take this information and not store it in your Bible, not throw it in the file cabinet as you head out to church, but to really make the next season of your life a place where you consider what season are you in? Who is the pacemaker of your life? Do I know how to find settle? And are the inputs in my life keeping up with the outputs of my life? And you develop a current ready plan. It would have been a different story if when David was on that roof, he would have walked off the roof and maybe across the street to talk to one of his mighty men and to say, I'm in a bad way. Yeah, David, why don't you go grab your guitar? We probably need a worship. Different story. Different story. Would have been a different story for Elijah. Would have been a different story if someone would have grabbed Peter's arm and said, don't you dare run away. I'm with you. You said you didn't want to deny the Lord. Let's, let's, let's bear down. Let's be together. You can look at every incident of all of scripture where people stumble or lose their way, they lost their plan for resilience. <clears throat> let's not join them. Let's learn from them. Amen? Let me take a moment to pray for you and then I'll take any questions and, uh, and then we'll have Johnny pass out the final exam. No, just kidding. Let's pray. Lord, we, you call us this. Sometimes I read it and I think, I, I don't know, Lord. But you, you call us overcomers. And I know there are plenty of days where I struggle with feeling overcome. Like, Oof, I don't know if I can do this or I can make this. Or... And yet, over and over again in my life and in the lives of the people that I serve and walk with, you seem to continually call us back to give attention to what is our pace? Are we allowing you to be our pacemaker? Who are the people that we're surrounding our life with, giving our life to? And what are the practices that I'm giving time and energy and focus to? And Lord, in every instance that I know of in my life and others, when we give it attention to them, we bounce back. 
we catch our breath, we get a new measure of grace. So I pray for my friends this morning that as they take this information, that it would lead to transformation, that it would lead to an active practice of life, and that they'd encounter more of you, that they'd sense more grace, more faith, and they would feel themselves bouncing back. To your glory and honor we pray. Amen. Any questions? What can I help with? It is a lot of stuff to think about, isn't it? Yeah. And as I comb through, I'm just going to be praying for you guys to really focus on one or two things of, okay, this is where the Spirit says to start. Yeah. I don't, I don't, right off the top of the moment, I can't remember. It's a Stanford study. I'm almost certain about that. Yeah. And some people have linked it to, there are some things metabolically that relate to that as well. But their focus was more in terms of attention and focus. Yeah, 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 it is. And so, like, um, one of the things I do is I work with small businesses, and a lot of times they'll ask me to talk about attention, engagement, and productivity, and I'll talk to them about this, and I'll, and I'll draw that, that bell curve and explain that atten the way attention is is that there really are four gears. You turn your attention towards what you're going to focus on. You begin to kind of focus on it, and then as you engage it, you begin to narrow your focus on that object, and when you get up here, you're in fourth gear, this is when it's possible. All of this, in order to get to this place, of course, will work better if you're not interrupted. And so in people in office spaces, you know, a lot of, a lot of office spaces, after I talk to them, they'll, make, they'll have like little dots on their door. They'll have a green dot on there if you can knock and interrupt, and a red dot if, if it's no, I'm trying to focus. Because if someone comes and hits you here, you start all over again. You go back to having to refocus. But when you're up here in the 90-minute swell... And when you get here, a lot of people will go, well, what am I supposed to do here? Am I supposed to just take a nap? And yeah. <laughs> I said, if you can, do it. But these are the things that here on this span that you do that are things that don't, don't demand a lot of attention. They don't demand a lot of energy. Um, so it could be answering simple emails. It could be making a phone call. It could be reviewing your calendar. It's not really draining, but there are other tasks that don't require your best brain. And then by all means, this is why the, the whole stand-up movement has started, because people will talk about sitting as the new smoking. And there is really something in our nervous system and our brain that's very true about that. If we, if we sit for a long span of time, one of the things we need to do is stand up.
And so when you stand up, you re-engage your nervous system. Your brain knows overtaking a break. And so sometimes just a little three to five minute walk or stand up will renew your energy and your focus. Yeah. Yeah, so a Sabbath day, that's a great question. Um, my Sabbath, so my Sabbath day is Friday. And so I really try, when I've been a good boy, my, I'll try on Thursday night not to have anything. And before I, I go to bed at some point in time, I'll go in the office and I'll, I'll kind of just grab my journal and I'll think about, okay, what would be refreshing? Tomorrow, what do I want to be assured that I'm giving my attention to? Do I want to like play my guitar a little bit longer? Do I want to go for a longer walk? Uh, what is it that would, would bring some recharge? And I schedule it. I plan it. Um, I will take a longer time in the morning sitting with the Lord. I will take a longer time usually reading something that has really got me. It might, it might be something I'm studying in the scripture. It could be a book that someone's directed me to. But I'll, t I'll have the luxury of doing more personalized reading because the hazard of my profession is I read the Bible for you instead of for me. <laughs> yeah, so I, I want to make sure that I do that. And then um, Betsy and I have a tradition of every morning we walk together. And there's, she's a real prayer and I'm learning to pray in more effective ways. So sometimes we'll, you know, we'll kind of separate and that's an opportunity for us to just do our praying, but we're also walking together. And on a Friday morning, we like to take a little bit longer walk together. Those are some things that come to mind for me. When I'm coaching pastors and people, I, I tell them what I told you guys today and I'll say, have a growing list of things, practices, that are energizing to you, that, that help you feel, uh, sense the Lord's presence in your life, um, that help you, uh, in a sense, re-energize, restore your passion. Have a working list and make sure on your Sabbath that you're giving time for one or two of those things on a regular basis. Most people will be really good about trying to turn off, but they don't know what they're turning to. And that's been probably the biggest thing in my work, in my, in my own life and pastor's lives has been to help them to realize when you check out, know what you're checking into. Does that make sense, Jeff? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you, you cut off, you cut off these other things, but then you don't with God. Right. Yeah. And it's it's that ongoing practice and discipline that 
helps train our brain because our brains are their dopamine junkies. And so it's always looking for a hit of life, so to speak. And so um, for me, I have to stay away from brownies. <laughs> Every brownie on the planet knows my name, Mark. <laughs> yeah, that's right, bring them to you. That's right. <laughs> And they, they give me a quick hit, but I, then I, I just go, oh, that's a dopamine thing. But there could be all kinds of things that we realize. And really, you know, working with, especially a lot of these pastors that came off the rails, what had happened to them is that they, they just weren't managing the pace, and they weren't, then they weren't giving time for input for their lives. And, so, and they, were, they were just grabbing like junk food experiences, like you're saying, Jeff, you know, hit porn or you know, just do things that are not good. And David's slide where he was did not happen overnight. It happened in a season where he was just wilting. And I wish he would have had people in his life that go, oh, king, you got to get your guitar out again. You know, so we have to be aware of it. Yes. Uh, why th I think, I don't know if we could mandate, you know, 30 minutes, but I, I, I definitely think that there is a, a movement that I wish would make a little bit more of a splash in, in the pool of business. Um, there was a software company in, I think it's in New Zealand, and uh, the guy um, who owns the company had attended some place where they were talking about energy focus and rest. And he decided that what he was going to do was he was going to give all of his workers a half day on Friday. And what it was, was he said, I'm going to pay you for the whole day, but the half day you have to go do something for yourself. And um, he worked with a group of people that followed the productivity and the engagement of his company. And it was so profound the level of work that came from that half day that he, he bought a whole day. So this company, every day, will give you one day, go and do what's going to recharge you. And it can't be work. It's got to be something that works for you. And they're having a profound experience. There's also the idea of work and pace. And when you look at Western Europe, it's a different rhythm. If you're in Western Europe, you know, there's lunchtime and then the shops are closed for an hour. The people are relaxing or napping. And when you, when you work like in a country like Belgium, um, it, their, their minimum amount of time off is six weeks plus holidays. So when you start working for them, you get six weeks paid vacation plus holidays. That's not the American way right now. But we need, we need to really rethink pace. If you want productivity, you'll pay attention to the three swells of 90 minutes. And the, the companies that I've worked with, they've done some of that and it's made a profound impact. Yes? Would you address cutting back on 
Yeah, I struggle with it. <laughs> I'm a recovering output junkie. Yeah, and usually it's when I realize I'm overwhelmed and then I'll, I'll look at the markers that we've talked about today. You know, like where's my grid at? Uh, what does my calendar look like? Have I been on my sacred pathways? And when I realize I'm not, I know that I need to start to say no to certain things. Now, in order for me to say no to some things that are big, I have to have a rest place to go think. I need to walk in the woods on it. And right now at the age of 65, I've had a lot of people, I, I don't think anybody re retires at 65 anymore. But when I turned 65, a lot of people came and said, I suppose you're going to retire. And I said, I wish. <laughs> so, but I, what I am is I'm um, refining what I'm going to do. And that means I need to start saying no to some certain things. So I'm cutting back on the amount of ministry hours at the church that I'm at now. And the pastor has known that for about a year and a half, two years, that that's, that day is coming. And so I'm doing that. So it, it takes me a space to talk to the Lord about it and to think through what are the things that I feel like in this, if I look at, because there was a time where I felt like my tank was this big, but now my tank is this big. And in order for me to do the things that God put me on the planet, how am I going to spend this tank? And I can't live like I have this one anymore because it lasts for two days and my wife finds me laying in the middle of the floor. <laughs> so I really have to think it through and redirect the energy I have now, where does it go, Lord? For me, it's a big process. And I have people that will call me that are in really big pickles and that's hard for me to say no to, you know? But I realize Jesus is the Savior, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you have a question? Sorry, I was going to add something. I just wanted to ask. Do you have to say no a lot more than you Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very hard for me. I mean, w w when the Lord, sometimes I wish I, I just had a short highlight wheel so you guys knew what I looked like when I was 23. Uh, you know, it's, it's what Jesus says uh, to the person who's been forgiven much, they love much. I don't even know how to say it other than I'm just so incredibly grateful. So when someone comes to me for help, if there's something I can do, I really want to say yes. You know, but then the Lord, he, the Lord is really faithful to put his hand on me and say, remember, I'm, I'm the Savior, you know. But it's hard to say no. And I, I get so many people that are in real pickles. I'll do what I can to help them find it, you know, but I can't, I just can't do good work then. Yes. Amen. Yeah. And, it, you know, part of the whole people meshing thing, it's so interesting to me because I, I never, I don't, I don't have a web page. I don't hang a shingle. And through a mutual friendship, I, I met this character named J.R. when he was on a sabbatical. And I didn't know I was going to meet all you good people. And, 
And I'd never been to Montana. I never thought about being to Montana, you know. It just didn't enter my mind. Here in Montana, and I think about, I think I'd like to move to Montana, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, hear, I hear you guys have a problem from the West Coast in particular, yeah. But I, you know, it's just another way that God fills our grid. It's so cool to see. It's amazing. While you were flipping through your slides, you, ran, I, you skipped it, but I saw the RPM slide. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. When one of the things that I wish every person here could get at least a three-month sabbatical. Man, I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. There's something about stopping, and that freedom that affords to you a clear picture. And I realize that. In our world, it's not really wired that way, so you have to be a bit of a revolutionary and find ways that you can foster rest. But for me, after I had my sabbatical, I'd really discovered when I, when I sat on my chair with God, I could tell what the RPMs of my inner engine were doing. And if it was going zzzz, I knew that's not good. And if it was going zzzz, that's, that's it. So one of my practices is I look for regular activities that happen every day, like saying grace before a meal. And even when alone, I'll close my eyes for a moment and I'll listen to the RPMs. Because, it, you know, the day gets the best of you and the next thing you know, you're on roller skates. But if you can catch it, so you, at lunchtime you close your eyes and you listen for a moment and you go, <laughs> you go, oh, Lord. Okay, what am I going to do? And you can be intentional. You can give your focus to what can I do to slow down? If you can find settled, you can find it. Your mission is, what does Joel look like settled? What does Taylor look like settled? What is this big guy that is probably in his tree stand now? What does he look like? Settled. And so that you know what it feels like in the dashboard of your soul, your body. And when, you, when you're there, you can be settled. Isn't it astounding that Jesus is walking through this crowd that would dwarf the Beatles crowds, and there's this woman who's fighting to touch him because she's had an issue of blood that's killing her. She can't find any remedy. And she knows if I just touch him, I'll be healed. She finds her way through. She touches his robe. He stops. He's so settled. He's so focused. He's so calm that in the midst of this riotous crowd, he stops and he goes, who touched me? And his disciples are like, dude, we're in the middle of New York. Can you, like, I don't know. What do you mean, who touched you? Jesus goes, no. I know, someone touched me. He was aware and settled. That same Jesus lives in you. Don't say, I can't do it. Say, Jesus, we can do it. What's it look like to walk through this crazy world settled?
Should we take a nap? <laughs> yeah. Can I just bless you? And then I'll give it to JR to close, okay? Thank you, Lord, that you are a shepherd, that you don't drive, you lead. And not only do you lead, Lord, but you invest your person inside of us and you invite us to be inside of you to abide in such a way as that we are together and our pace is set by you, our people are coordinated by you, and our power flows from you. Would you bless these people in a marked way that from this day on, they notice an emergence of grace and rest and flow because of your presence in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks, Mark. Uh, we'll be hanging out here for a bit. There's probably some drinks and snacks till you can grab something on your way out if you want. But you guys, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate opportunity to hear from Mark. So uh, I think that's it. Otherwise, Mark will be preaching tomorrow too as a part of the Sunday service. So if you are able to make it, there's resources up here. Don't forget to grab something on your way out if you want to. Otherwise, have a great rest of your Saturday, and I'll see you tomorrow morning.